Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! My name is Nigel. Guy Relford in for Jason Hammer, who is suffering from a severe case of the sniffles. Thank you for uh, coming in, Guy. Always. It's it's a good day to have you because we're still taking in. We've had 24 hours to soak in the uh, release of the probable cause affidavit uh, by the judge in the Delphi murders, um, which says basically uh, in this in this uh, probable cause document that Richard Allen is likely the man seen and heard in the Down the Hill video. Uh, what I took away from this, and this is, I'm a total legal layman, right? This is why I got you here today. This is, <laughs> this is we're going to drill down into some of the weeds here, but the fact that they found a, a, um, an unspent bullet uh, between the bodies of these poor girls and linked it scientifically back to uh, Richard Allen and a gun that he owns is, to me, that's damning evidence. Maybe we could start there with this bullet and then sort of uh, and, and drill down. To me, that is, I mean, that's that's big to me. It, well, it, it can be, and it likely will be, but a lot of it is going to depend on the actual forensic evidence. And, and Nigel, we need to start with a little bit of terminology. Um, because uh, I think it's causing a lot of confusion the way uh, a lot of the media is reporting you know, what was found and, and how it was linked uh, to uh, Richard Allen and his firearm. It, it, a little bit of nomenclature, and, I, and, and I'm going to sound like I'm nitpicking, but I'm really not because it's important to understand. Um, that, that what we're talking about here is an unspent cartridge. Okay, A cartridge has four components. It's got a bullet, which is a projectile. That's what comes out of the barrel um, and goes downrange towards your target. It's got a shell casing, um, and that's the the casing that holds the bullet and the gunpowder and the primer together. Then it's got gunpowder. Then it's got a primer, which is essentially a little cup of chemical that ignites on contact, for instance, when it's hit by a firing pin or what we call a striker. So what was found was was an unfired cartridge, okay? A cartridge meaning it's got all the components. It's got the bullet which is the projectile. It's also got the, the casing, the gunpowder, yeah. and the That's primer. A, it's a bullet that you get out of the box. But right, it, it contains a bullet, but we shouldn't call it a bullet because a bullet is just one component. Yeah, okay. That's, like, that's I like you, saying I I don't, my 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 car has a motor, but I don't call my car a motor. <laughs> it, it's a okay. car. It's just got a motor a in one. it. So a bullet is one component of a cartridge. Okay, and so what they found was the whole cartridge, which means it's been it's unfired. And so how does an unfired cartridge end up on the ground between two murder victims? And and that that is an incredibly interesting question from both a legal perspective, a forensic perspective, and just a firearms perspective, because I can tell you when you typically take an unfired cartridge out of your gun, and we can go through that, and how is that likely to happen in the middle of the commission of a crime? That's what raises a lot of interesting questions. Here's a good one for you. And this actually comes from your Euchre partner, Russ McQuaid, Fox 59. <laughs> and I know you guys have had your differences. He he yeah. slams you on your two-way stuff and called yeah. you like a snarky thing. But he's, yeah. I mean, he's still a good investigative criminal reporter. And I, he certainly uh, has uh, been, yeah. He, um, and he asked a, a pertinent question. I thought it was very interesting having to deal with this bullet. How did police know the bullet they found at the crime scene five years ago? Right would match a gun in Richard Allen's house. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Well, I mean, do you have any theories? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions we have right now. This guy's been walking around for five years. Right. Um, well, they found the cartridge. The- Right, I'm still going to not call it a bullet because oh, it's not a okay. damn bullet. All right, he but looked at it, me squarely when I said bullet. <laughs> no, because that's well, that's what Russ said. That's what that's what I was and, reading verbatim from yeah, his. No, I, I, I understand that. Um, I thought that was a really, really interesting question. But they found the cartridge five years ago, so that's been you know they're in the crime lab all this time. Here, just recently, they've decided. Hey, wait a minute! Didn't we interview a guy five years ago who said he was on the bridge? Who said he saw the girls? Uh, didn't talk to him, et cetera, et cetera. And they finally decided to do the forensic testing and obviously execute a search warrant on his property, mm. which allowed them to find the gun at issue. Then they made the, 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 the next connection, which was to do the forensic testing to try to match that unfired cartridge to the gun they found in his house and that he admitted owning since something like 2001 and admitted he'd never lent out to anyone else. And and so that testing apparently, as the way I the way I read the probable cause affidavit, that testing happened uh, more recently. Okay. And so that's when they said, okay. okay, we we have a gun. We've had a cartridge for a long time. We've had a gun for less amount of time. Is the way I understood it. If that's wrong, I will absolutely be corrected. So they kicked the tires on this guy from five years ago when he admitted to the police that he was there that day, that he was between certain hours of the time they may or may not have seen females walking by on the bridge. There's witnesses that say they saw a guy looking like him, but you're telling me mm-hmm. then they bring in fresh blood like the FBI and the state police bring in fresh blood and say, oh, what about this guy you interviewed uh, and, and years ago? I, and, and I don't know. And man, uh, those people have been under so much uh, stress and, and pressure, and I, I don't want to sound critical, but yeah, it kind of sounds like they you know, had a, a meeting at, or a discussion at some point, and we're kind of going back over the evidence they've collected over the last five years, and said, hey, what about this guy? And then took the steps necessary to, to get a warrant, to, to find this gun, do the forensic analysis to match the gun to the unfired cartridge that they found at the scene. And again, a totally interesting discussion. How does an unfired cartridge that was my next question. wind up on the ground yeah. in the middle of the commission of a crime? So it was in the gun. The cartridge is in the gun. Well, they, yeah, that's because that's, that's what they—that's they, that's what—that's the analysis that they just released the in the probable cause affidavit, which yeah. is a forensic analysis said that this cartridge had been in his gun. And keep in mind when we say in the gun, what linked this cartridge to his gun um, were extraction marks. Okay, what's an extraction mark? The way a gun works, a semi-automatic firearm is what we're talking about here, and it was reportedly a, a, a Sig Sauer. 226 and I, I, I own one uh, and 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 I, and I know exactly how it functions what the way this this works is that when you chamber around so you load a magazine what some people call a clip uh, it's obvious that's also not correct magazine you put a magazine in the gun it's got a closed slide so to get around out of the magazine into the chamber you pull the slide back and release the slide that's called racking the slide yeah. that puts around from the magazine into the chamber of the gun it's now ready to be fired Okay, disengage the safety, pull the trigger, gun goes boom. Once that cartridge is in the chamber, to get it out, other than firing the gun, what do you have to do? You have to draw the slide back on that gun, and what 
physically happens is there's a piece of the slide, a component of the slide called an extractor. And it's literally a little claw that sits inside the slide. And that claw hooks on the extended edge of the rear of the cartridge. And that's why when you, when you look at a, a pistol cartridge or a rifle cartridge, typically they have a, 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 an edge on the back of the case that, that that extractor hooks onto and it pulls it out. And so you got a piece of metal on a piece of metal and, and brass typically is what a cartridge casing is made out of. So it's very soft and they like it because it's soft because it can expand and, and that helps the functioning of the gun. It's very soft. So that steel extractor catches that rear edge of that cartridge and pulls it out. That, that steel extractor, metal on metal, especially on soft brass, leaves a mark. And when you put that under very high magnification, just like any tool mark technology, like you can match a crowbar to the marks it made on the lock of a door that pried that door open. That's just tool mark technology. Same technology as far as a mark that one piece of metal leaves on another piece of metal under very high magnification, you can say, okay, that's how we can identify this extractor on this gun to this particular cartridge that was in that gun. So that's how they've said it was in the gun. But it wasn't just in the magazine in the gun. It was loaded into the chamber mm -hmm. ready to fire. Back to your question, how does that come out of the gun? There's one way, which is to rack the slide of the gun. Now, why would you do that in the middle of a crime? Number of reasons. The gun can malfunction. Okay, meaning there's something called a double feed, where essentially the gun tries to put two rounds of ammunition into one chamber. It doesn't work. So the slide doesn't close all the way. You got to clear that out. And when you end up, end up, I've done a lot of classes, both as an instructor and as a student, where we do malfunction drills. And we're always dropping live rounds, unspent rounds all over the place while you're clearing a malfunction. That's one way. You can have a defective round of ammunition and where you can pull the trigger and the gun just goes click. Okay, that's because for whatever reason, when the firing pin or the striker hits the primer on that particular cartridge, it didn't make the gunpowder ignite, didn't fire the gun. We call that a misfire. How do you get that out of the chamber and load a, another round in so the gun will fire? You rack the slide. That can happen. Sometimes it, you see this in the movies all the times. So, uh, all the time, someone has a has a firearm, and you see this with shotguns all the time. And someone's trying to intimidate someone. They're trying to order someone around. They're trying to do whatever they're doing, and they'll they'll say, "I'm serious." And all of a sudden, you see the shotgun. And it goes Ch -ch -ch, right. They yeah. rack the action of the shotgun. Hey, I'm really serious. Yeah. Whenever I watch that on TV I, or in a movie, I always roll my eyes because when they do that, when they cycle the action of the firearm, you ought to see a live round go flying through the air. If the gun was loaded, you just racked the action. You, ought, you just lost a round. Well, if, I'm, if I've got a handgun and I'm trying to order someone around, I'm trying to intimidate someone, they're not doing what I want them to do, could I rack the slide go, hey, I'm serious, and rack the action of my handgun so as to intimidate them? Yes. And if, the, if there's a round loaded in the chamber, that's going to spit an unfired round, an unfired cartridge out onto the ground. So, uh, And I'm not saying any of this happened with, 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 with uh, I know, Abby you're just Libby. Giving different I'm just going through different scenarios of why a live cartridge, unspent cartridge, could be found at a crime scene. And, by the way, we don't know the official cause of death yet, just no. because we're talking about no. guns and cartridges and bullets. We don't know that they were shot. We don't know how no. this happened. Yep. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the head.
Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Uh, wow. Uh, rest in peace, Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac, uh, English singer, songwriter, had those kind of gravelly, smoke, uh, smoky vocals from uh, Fleetwood Mac dead at the uh, age of 79. No word on cause of death. I'm not sure if she was sick or what guy, but uh, the um, statement from uh, Fleetwood Mac's Twitter account, quote, there are no words to describe our sadness, the passing of Christine McVie. She was truly one of a kind, special, talented, beyond measure, dead at the age of 79. Uh, We had music, um, I'm sorry, we had more news today breaking, and I'm kind of mad at Senator Mike Braun. He's been on the show several times, and last time he was on, we asked him, look, are you running for governor? It was probably a month or two ago. Uh-huh. He's like, well, I'll make that decision after the midterms. <laughs> and I go, hey, you better break that news on the Hammer yeah, and Nigel show. Right. And, well, of course he didn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I've, I've had him on my show, too, but I, I didn't think I was going to rank <laughs> of where he was going to make that announcement. Um. So, he... He's going to run for governor. I mean, Holcomb can't run again because of term limits, and this opens up a Senate seat here in a couple of years. Braun kind of indicated to Hammer and I that he was frustrated with Washington, D.C., and it's a mess, and the federal legislative branch is, is, is poorly run, and the way your tax money is spent, and there's not a lot he's been able to do, and he feels like he could get more accomplished, get more done for his home state. What do you think? Can Senator Braun win um, as governor, can win an election, and who's going to take that Senate spot more more interestingly? Yeah, I think he certainly can. Um, you know, I think people are, are, are frustrated. A lot of Republicans are frustrated with, with Eric Holcomb. Um, you know, I certainly have been. I was frustrated with him during lockdowns yeah. and some of the things that even he tried to do and he was unsuccessful in doing, like an executive order that would make it a crime to not wear a mask. Yeah. I mean, I went Free out. in on, jail for wearing, not wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went out on social media. I was very aggressive on that and said, that's unconstitutional and that's not going to be enforceable. And I'll be the first one to litigate that issue. And um, Curtis Hill came out with an official opinion that said exactly the same thing and that went away. Uh, and, and look, uh, he. He was in a, a tough position. I wouldn't want to be governor in the middle of a COVID, you know, COVID type crisis. Well, uh, at well, the same well, whatever. Time, DeSantis was in a tough position, and he he, he did an about face once he immediately realized the science it, exactly. was there. And how many and times? Turned it all around. Exactly, Nigel. And how many times during COVID did you see something DeSantis was doing and go, "Man, I want one of those." Yeah, you know, I want a governor like that. Right. And and he could have been that guy. He could have been that guy. And, and I think instead, he you're a petri dish for for protesting outside his. That's his, right. His, his, the, the the governor's mansion. And, and so I think yeah. a lot of people are frustrated. And I do think Mike Braun is more of a legitimate conservative than than Eric Holcomb, for instance. Um, you know, he's been largely true to his word in terms of trying to resist some of the runaway spending. You, you compare his yeah. voting record uh, even to Todd Young's. Oh, and, yeah. And Broad has voted against a lot of the spending that uh, has been passed, and, and he's been willing to stand up to that. And I can understand why he would be frustrated in seeing how Congress works. You know, in the good old boy system there where nothing really changes and the runaway spending never gets reined in. Um, and and so I, yeah, he's got a very legitimate shot. You know, you, you can never handicap races like this until, of course, you see who else is going to run. Sure. And and how good of a candidate, for instance, would Trey Hollingsworth be? Because when he announced he wasn't going to uh, re- seek re-election uh, as a representative in Congress, a lot of people said, "Aha, 
Trey, Trey Hollingsworth is going to run for governor. And and I'm sure there are going to be several others that we probably can't even speculate on right now that will surprise us a little bit. But I think right now you'd have to say whoever runs, Mike Braun would certainly be one of the fun, uh, front runners, if not the front runner. Well, and then from a Democratic side, um, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Jennifer McCormick has been hinting all along that, um, you know, she's the former state superintendent of public instruction who is pretty radical. I mean, she was all for lockdowns and masks yeah, and yeah. mandates and, and mandatory. And, and she's somebody that's definitely hinting hinting around at that on her side of the party. Sure. And then you've got McDermott, of course, who yeah. just got smoked yeah. uh, by Todd Young. Uh, but you got to believe that you know if the Democrats were willing to put him up once, they likely put him up again. I don't know that he would fare any better uh, for this seat than he did uh, for Todd Young's seat. And yeah, well, you have to see who comes out of the woodwork at that point. But no, I, I think uh, I think the, the Braun is going to be the front runner. But I really want to see. I think the more interesting discussion, or at least Senate. as interesting, is who's going to run for that Senate. So you get any in, inside baseball knowledge there? I don't know about I mean, inside baseball. I mean, you know, I, since I, I'm, I've kind of been out front on two-way issues, sometimes when people have exploratory committees or they're they're considering a run, they'll they'll feel me out a little bit on you know who I would support or who I would see as being strong on two-way issues, which is uh, you know Second Amendment issues, which is still a huge issue here in Indiana and it influences a lot of voters. Um, and and I won't you know reveal anything that that I've had uh, discussed with me in confidence, but I will tell you, irrespective of any of those communications. I mean, a frontrunner there has to be Victoria Sparts uh, for yeah. for that Senate seat. I mean, I think she's seen uh, as an up up and comer in Congress generally. I think she's been a true conservative. She's really raised yep. her profile with the uh, war in Ukraine. Uh, you know, being Ukrainian, right? Sure. She's from there, and she's been a, a really, a, I think, a, a strong voice uh, for freedom generally. Um, and and she's been a true conservative. Uh, in Congress as well. So um, for whoever runs for that, I got to believe Victoria is going to be uh, a front runner. At the same time, I'm also a big fan of Jim Banks. And Congressman Jim Banks has yeah. is, is, is also been a great I like conservative. Him. I like him a ton. And uh, and, and we, we, we could do a lot worse than if we either had Jim Banks or Victoria Sparks in that Senate seat. And I think it would be a, 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 a real positive for Indiana if either one of those occurs. I would I would speculate those two are the front runners there. And then, you know, again, you, you, you can always be surprised when somebody throws sure. their hat in the ring. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Guy Relford is filling in for Hammer. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on education journalists. Uh, from the Heritage Foundation, he's also an investigative columnist for the Daily Signal. Tony Kennett, one of our favorites. Tony, how are you? I'm doing good. Nice. How are you? Uh, let's. You want to start out with something kind of fun? It's kind of depressing, but kind of fun all at the same oh, time. Kind I, of fun and depressing <laughs> is my favorite Indiana-themed segment. Did you see this clip of the professor at UC San Diego? And how she's she, she I think this is a TikTok thing where she's saying she's giving all A's so she can decolonize her classroom. Here, here, listen to this real quick. What's up, y'all? Dr. Purity here, and I'm going to talk to you a bit about how to decolonize a classroom and how I decolonize my teaching. 
So first things first, we do not grade over here, okay? Anyone who takes my class automatically gets an A. They're told in the first week that they're gonna get an A. The only thing that's required is attendance. And I have weeks of um, excused absences built in so that if people are sick or they have family obligations, it won't affect their grade. So since I'm not grading them, I'm just giving them A's. Like, how do I know that they're doing anything? And how do I know that um, they're learning anything? Uh, and so I also don't give homework. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, and I run a discussion style classroom. So um, my students and I have equal part when it comes to bringing information to the table. Um, we all sit together and share what we're talking about. Uh, and they get to use their critical thinking skills to apply the things they've learned in all their other classes. Uh, okay, I've had enough. Uh, Tony, I don't, first of all, let's, what does she mean when she's decolonizing a classroom? Like how, how does this work exactly? So there is this pathetic progressive idea that, uh, anything that was built by Western civilization. So this, this would be a Greek, Roman, Judeo, Christian, uh, civilization that kind of sprang out of that, uh, historical point is bad. And it's bad because it was associated for a while with things like slavery, even though every single culture on earth engaged in slavery. It was bad because uh, it has all of these lingering things like capitalism and free speech and the right to bear arms and all these other horrible, horrible things. So you have to decolonize. They claim that everyone is uh, like uh, to quote uh, the Black Panther movie. It's a, you're a colonizer. You know, you're just some evil, mean person who yeah. has taken over everyone else's life. So in education, what that means is that you take out all influences of all Western stuff. And usually they mean they're going to take out anything that would uh, they usually try to, you know, tape it to slavery. They're like, well, you can't call it the master bedroom because that implies masters and slaves. You can't give people a grade because you're people used to grade their slaves, apparently. And, and that's the same thing, even though that's not remotely at all the case or where that comes from. So that's what she's trying to do here. There's also the capitalistic meritocracy in which what you work for and achieve, you earn. That's how you're scored. Uh, the results you bring to the table. Well, they say that's bad. Um, that's been a thing for quite a while. That's considered an aspect of white supremacy. And so she is trying to take a big cultural stand and say, well, in my classroom, uh, we're not actually doing any learning because learning is slavery. And so that's that's really the entirety of her argument. It's quite pathetic. You know, I see things like this and I want to believe and I do believe for the most part that this is the exception rather than the rule, um, that this is not a normal thing. But I also believe and tell me if you think I'm wrong, that this is. This kind of behavior, this kind of ideology and thinking is is a lot more common than we think it is in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it, it, I call this following the idea to the end of the sidewalk. So if you start along some kind of path and you say, I believe that capitalism is bad, you know, that it's a tool of Western slavery or whatever, then you actually have to start applying that to every area of philosophy in your life until you eventually reach very radical points like this professor is espousing. Now, a lot of teachers, most teachers are perfectly fine. They understand that, you know, these ideas are wacko and they're stupid and they don't actually make any sense. They won't encourage any student to learn. This is just going to be the easy A professor. And a lot of teachers don't care for that, but some of them are enticed by this virtue signaling, you know, taking down the systemic oppression. And this professor is near to the end of the road. 
uh, of this ideology. So it's becoming more popular, but still the majority of teachers recognize that that's very stupid. Well, well, let me play you another clip here. This is, and I think they're being, I think teachers like the one we just played, educators, professors, uh, radical progressives are being encouraged by people like the good Dr. Jill Biden. Um, This is her over the summer praising activist teachers saying schools are where policies become people. Listen to this. You turn down the news on the TV telling you about people who want to stop you from doing your job and you put your shoulders back and you just go out and focus on your students. Okay. There is so much weight on all of you. But you carry it. Our schools are where policies become people. Can you can you kind of break that down for us? That was uh, Dr. Jill Biden uh, earlier this summer speaking to a bunch of teachers. Um, you know, schools are where policies become people. What does that so, mean? You know, let's actually break things down into a little political etymology here. Uh, policies are ideas put forward. So what she has stated is that this system of policies becoming people is using schools to shove ideologies forward. So there are certain political points, perspectives and ideologies that are governing the left. And these ideologies are what Jill Biden suggests should be manifesting themselves in students. And there's no other way to shape that. Um, I, I guess you could very vaguely say, well, our policies in health and safety means that our classrooms will be healthier and safer. Only she didn't say that. She said that teachers themselves, by advocating in a way that they find necessary, are putting forward these proponing ideas of the left. And even if a lot of teachers, you know, don't side with that and think that's nonsense, that is very concerning to hear from the first lady whose job, for some reason or another, has basically just become a weird policy advocate megaphone for uh, the president in office. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tony Kennett from Heritage Foundation, and uh, he's an investigative columnist for the uh, Daily Signal. Worked as a STEM administrator for many years for IPS uh, here on the Hammer and Nigel show. Pivot, let, let's pivot just a little bit. We we sort of touched on this last week, but it's it's kind of intensified a little bit. Uh, Mike Pompeo, former um, director of CIA, and served. Uh, was he? He was the Secretary of State from 2018 to 21. Looks like he's running for president. And I swear, I, I mean, he's got this plan. He's going after uh, Randy Weingarten again, the the teachers' union chief, and he's challenging her to a debate. Um, she's challenging her on indoctrination. I believe you were the one that tweeted me. Weingarten is talking about shutting down schools again. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, so Randy Weingarten came out in the last couple of weeks and has been saying that RSV, which primarily affects younger children and infants, not even school-age children, uh, to the hospitalization records, RSV in uh, older children and adults usually is just a cold. But anyway, RSV, um, COVID-19 and the flu are, are rampant right now. And so therefore, we need to shut the schools down again, or we need to consider shutting some schools down for a few weeks in winter to slow the spread. And that's what Randy Weingarten's message has been. And uh, hilarious 
seriously this time. Not even the state union chapters are getting behind her. Oh, uh, wow. So in the Michigan Education Association, basically someone asked them recently what they thought about that. And uh, the lady very quickly, this the spokeswoman uh, for the MEA, basically just changed the subject immediately <laughs> because wow. they're just not on board with that kind of nonsense. Um, and which is interesting. Also, we haven't really seen Becky Pringle from the NEA, which is over the Michigan Education Association, the national level, also hasn't really confirmed that. But what's interesting about Pompeo and, and Randy here is that no one cares who Pompeo is. Uh, he right. called her the most dangerous woman in the country, yeah. uh, which is quite the compliment. She's maybe the biggest clown in the circus. Um, she's not really dangerous she's just a big goober uh I, so i don't know i mean yeah i good for him i guess okay. but i i don't uh, i just well, i think he's, that he's, he's just trying to get attention he's gonna run for president i think that's that's obvious that's what this is so so um uh, well, we need someone to fall flat on their face in the first two months of the primary <laughs> tony kennett here before we let you go just, just tell me about your new role what is the heritage foundation and then um you're you're also a columnist for uh the daily signal what's going on there this is new yeah, so uh, I just joined the Daily Signal team recently that's uh, by the Heritage Foundation. Uh, the Heritage Foundation is an organization that promotes uh, conservative values in the country, one of the oldest, one of the ones that has uh, stayed steadfast on actual liberty-based policy for the longest time. Uh, and in a lot of journalistic institutions, uh, I've seen recently so many education journalists, uh, they just ignore stories that don't fit a political narrative. And uh, quite honestly, I'm tired of seeing so many parents' concerns ignored or so many individuals' uh, problems with the education system thrown off to the side uh, because, you know, they're not considered kind and loving enough. So in, in my clearest case here, racism is not equity. Sexual abuse is not love and affirmation. Hiding information from parents is not responsible. Mm. And no, reporting is not stochastic terrorism. So it really, it's those four things, those four ideas that led me to starting an investigative column series over at the Daily Signal. Uh, I'm actually going to be releasing a report on an Indiana school here in a couple of days, Colorado soon to follow. Uh, there are a lot of interesting things that parents have yet to see. And uh, there's a lot of stuff to uncover, so stay tuned. And, and where? Tell me again, where can people specifically find your work, and where they 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 can find your um, social media stuff as well? Absolutely. So you can find uh, the work that will be coming out over at DailySignal.com, uh, and you can find uh, my stuff coming out as it releases over there. Also, you can follow me on Twitter over at the Tonus. Uh, and uh, I suppose here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have to make some kind of Facebook page because God knows I've had enough DMs in the last couple of weeks asking me when I'm going to make one. So. All right, man. Tony, we love having you on. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Nigel. Thanks. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. We'll be right back. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is out. The gun guy, Guy Relford, filling in. Guy, how are you? I'm great, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So we're going to touch on a lot of things this segment. We'll talk more about the uh, unsealed uh, probable cause documents yesterday uh, in terms of the the Delphi murder investigation. Uh, Let's start with something that's been uh, quite a controversy for the only guy that's declared that he's running for president in 2024 uh, so far is Donald Trump and his dinner with Kanye West and that 
whoever the Nick Fuentes guy is who who is um, a Holocaust denier and previously said that Trump saying that you know disavowing white supremacy and white it was a was a big mistake things like that um, yeah as much it, as the the term white supremacist gets overused yes. and, and and abused in this country I think it probably uh, is uh, is is deserving this guy's probably deserving of being called that here let me play before we get into it, let me play uh, the turtle, Mitch McConnell, uh, Senate Minority Leader, yesterday as he opened up uh, this press conference. First, let me just say that there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view, in my judgment, highly unlikely to ever be elected president of the United States. So there you go, the establishment uh, uh, wing of the Republican Party, Mitch McConnell, saying something that actually kind of that, that makes sense. I don't, like, I, I don't know. That probably hurt Donald Trump, this dinner that he had a few days after announcing he was running. Uh, Hammer and I have been talking about it. You know how I feel about it. It was The optics are horrible. Um, do I think Trump is an anti-Semite? No, I don't. He's done a lot for in the Middle East in terms of peace and Israel and the Abraham Accords. Um, well, look at his know, own family. And of course, Jared Kushner and his his daughter converted to Judaism. But at the same time, like, why sit down even with Kanye West? I know they're friends. I know Kanye West is has he said he's a friend and he has problems. I wanted to you know I wanted to consult with him and, and give him some advice, but. Tell me your take on this situation, and, and, and do you agree with Mitch McConnell that um, probably is not going to be elected president? Well, I I, I don't think he's going to receive the Republican nomination, not because of this dinner meeting necessarily, but because he's not the best candidate, and he brings too much baggage, and, and he brings not so much this exact episode, this exact occurrence. What he brings is a, a lack of judgment and unforced errors. And and look, I, I enthusiastically voted for President Trump sure. twice. Um, if he's the nominee, I'll, I'll enthusiastically vote for him again. Mm-hmm. But these kind of unforced errors that uh, you know, I won't I won't say it on the radio, but stepping on your own private parts. <laughs> this, this 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 is this is what you get with Donald Trump. And and there's so much good. There's so much positive, And everybody talks about how we love his policies, and yeah. I agree completely. But this I kind of too. BS and, and bad move is what you get. And AP is now reporting. I just saw this on my way down here. Um, AP is reporting that now the uh, Trump 2024 campaign is announcing that there will be a member of the campaign with President Trump at all times and is going to do a thorough vetting of anyone uh, who plans to meet with President Trump uh, you know, for any amount of time whatsoever. And, and it just begs the question of, you don't trust your own candidate to have the, the kind of judgment necessary to make those kind of decisions that you don't go meet with a white supremacist who, you know, who was on the wrong side of the, the Charlotte, uh, Charlottesville uh, 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 protest that, that, that clearly did turn racist. Um, even though not everyone there, you know, could be described that way. So he just—it's just a lack of judgment. That's what you get with Donald Trump. So wait a minute. They've appointed somebody from the campaign to like just babysit Trump, basically. Well, well not necessarily one person. They're just saying someone <laughs> from the campaign. Who knows? They may have a whole. Why t- didn't team they have this? People. You would—you would have thought they had this <laughs> yeah. before. 
Well, that's a good uh, Mr. point. Mr. President, he's surrounded by Secret Service. He's surrounded by advisors. Mr. President, you're sharing, uh, you're, you're breaking bread with um, a very controversial uh, Holocaust denier, but as it, well as Kanye West. Yeah, but it's the same question. It's like, it's like, didn't they have someone to filter his tweets? Right. I mean, every time he he tweets something that offended unnecessarily. If, I mean, look, I, I I have no problem with offending people, you know, who who deserve yeah. to be offended. Um, but but when he would unnecessarily offend a whole bunch of people or or turn people against him in in ways that didn't promote his agenda, it didn't do him any good. It was just a boneheaded move. And you know, we all said, well. Isn't there someone whose job it is to not let him push send on his tweets until <laughs> they take a look at these things? And clearly the answer to that is no. But they're they're trying to get the horse back in the barn here, apparently, now. And they're going to have somebody accompanying him around and, and vetting anyone that, uh, that he's going to meet with. Biggest thing for you as a trial lawyer. I know you specialize in the Second Amendment. But you looked at these unsealed documents yesterday released by the judge. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some re- redacted stuff on the Delphi murder investigation, but mm-hmm. these unsealed probable cause documents. What what jumps out most to you? And and how do you think the defense is, is intending to build a, um, you know, in, in, like talking about prepping for a case, prepping to defend their uh, client? How, how do you think they're going to go about doing that after seeing what you've seen here? Well, I, a couple of things. The, the first thing is, is, as a defense lawyer, and look, I, you know, as a Second Amendment lawyer, I, I defend cases involving shootings, right? And, and most of most of the time, my cases are self-defense type cases, but it's where a prosecution is contesting whether it was self-defense or not, right? So um, they're, they're, they're shooting cases. And we don't even know that this is a shooting case, by the way, because we don't know the cause of death. Sure. Um, and that hasn't been released. But, but no, a couple of things. First of all, as a defense attorney, you don't have to win your case. You don't have to prove your client's innocent. You just have to establish a reasonable doubt. And so you're always looking for anything that casts doubt on the prosecution's case and creates that reasonable doubt, because that's all you need. And and here, there are so many things that jump out. For instance, the, the, the prosecutors in law enforcement have repeatedly said that they think someone else was involved. Well, that immediately... Uh, cast uh, some not question, if not doubt, over what the role of this particular defendant was. If there was somebody else involved, now there's something called felony murder in Indiana, and 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 the more that gets released on this case, the more I think this is going to turn in to a, a felony murder case uh, against Richard Allen. And that is that um, if you're committing a felony, whatever that felony might be, let's say it's bank robbery. We'll remove it completely from from Abby and Libby. Um, it's a bank robbery, and and I'm in the bank, and I've got my gun out, and I'm actively participating in a bank robbery. My co-bank robber shoots and kills the teller. I can be, even though I didn't shoot the teller, yeah, right. I can be prosecuted and convicted for felony murder because I was committing a felony, and it was predictable that my commission of a felony, along with others, might result in someone dying. And, and, and by the way, if a, if a teller pulls their own gun and shoots my co-perpetrator and, and my, then the, my co-bad guy dies, I could be prosecuted for felony murder even, uh, under that scenario. Not the guy that killed the – not the guy that was defending himself, but the other guy, that his, his bank robber buddy. If, my, if my co-bank robber dies because someone defends themselves, wow. then I can be co- prosecuted for murder. And that's happened in Indiana where yeah. co-perpetrators get killed because someone defends themselves. So – if, if I'm committing some crime against Abby and Libby, and look, I, I don't want to speculate on what that might be, but you know, certain things come to mind. If I'm committing a, a violent crime against them, 
and while I'm committing that crime, someone I'm committing that crime with, or is assisting me in the commission of that crime, whatever it might be, they kill mm-hmm. yeah. these two young ladies. I'm guilty of felony murder, even though I didn't kill them. And and that could easily be the case here. And again, we're, we're gosh, I hate to speculate when we just don't know, but that's what the unsealing of the probable cause after the partial unsealing because it's redacted yeah but, but if if the prosecutor says and he has said this there's we're looking at more than one or there right. could be more than one suspect that the defense could go all right they just said it there's more than one guy out there this ain't our guy well that's this, right this isn't him but the bullet is i'm sorry the cartridge that was found is is pretty damning evidence that traced back to Richard Allen's gun. That means he was there, that means his gun was there, and he played some role. But again, until we have a cause of death, yeah. what role did that gun even play? Yeah. And that's what gets really interesting. But but the fact that there was someone else involved, because look, in any criminal case, a lot of times the defense is what we call the toady defense. You know what the toady defense? No. T-O-D-I. No. The other dude did it. Okay. Yeah. So you know, so if there's another dude, then that that always can be used to cast doubt on whether this particular defendant is guilty or not. Hammer and Nigel presents. Is it depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? Hammer is out. The gun guy, Guy Relford, is in. Hammer usually throws a few stories at me. I will tell him if they are anything or not. I think I'm going to do the same to you this time. Is that cool? Absolutely. All right, we'll start with this. A plane had to make an emergency landing in Arkansas after a woman attempted to open the door at 37,000 feet. Mm. Uh, She did this because she said that Jesus told her to do it. Uh, she also course. ended up biting another passenger. Is trying to restrain her. Here is one of the passengers that uh, witnessed the incident. I just started hearing someone screaming help very loudly. She was singing gospel songs really loud and was saying she's not worthy. But I was just glad that everyone made it safe. Uh, I would say put this person on a no-fly list. No more flying for you for the rest of your life. Guy, what say you? Is this anything? Oh, absolutely. Th- this hits me where I live, man. I, 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 not so much in the last few years, but um, for large parts of my life, I've spent a lot of time traveling, Nigel. I've spent a lot of time on airplanes, and uh, even you know uh, around the time of, of 9-11, and I've developed a mindset where if you're on an airplane and you're doing something that, that might lead to, to hurting me and my fellow passengers... Yeah. I'm gonna hurt you. I, I'm just gonna hurt you, and and I don't want to hurt some lady who's crazy, but she's trying to open a door. I don't. I don't actually know whether it's physically possible to open a modern airliner door. You know, when the cabin pressurized there's and you no know, way. it's in flight. Certainly, there's no way. But I do not know that for a fact. And if she could open a door, depressurize that airplane, cause a crash, I'm sorry, I'm 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 hurting you at that moment. You're 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 not gonna open that door. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna be restrained. Uh, nobody was seriously injured. It was a uh, flight, uh, Houston to Columbus, Ohio. And the thing I always think about is we're traveling with my kids. What kind of lunatic uh, is is going to scare the crap out of my kids? Oh, yeah. Nobody was hurt. My kids are going to remember that. Like, how am I supposed to, my eight, eight-year-old and 10-year-old, they see something, somebody freak out like that. And it's happened plenty of times, 37,000 feet in the air. But my, that, that would be traumatic for my kids to see, almost to the point where they wouldn't want to ever go on a flight again, just... Being that incl- you know that far up in the sky in a hollow metal tube with wings on it, you don't have much options or much room for maneuver. I can really hope there's a guy like you on there. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you're, and I'm getting kind of old, I guess, to, 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 to follow through on that. But you act like you're you're doing something that jeopardizes me and the rest yeah. of my passengers. I'm sorry, you, I'm going to end that threat. 
All right, James, our producer today. Can you give me a little bit of mood music, please? Every light oh, yeah. Taking me back to my new hit country days in the mid-90s. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you know who that guy is? Do you know the song? You know, oh, absolutely. Can, I know, know Trace Atkins. Trace Atkins is a badass, man. He's like 6'5", and he was a former uh, oil, oil rig worker, and he's a real Texan. He's a badass. Dude, Trace Atkins, his wife, did you know his wife... <laughs> Shot him. His <laughs> he, he shot. He was shot by his second ex-wife in '94. The bullet went through his heart, both lungs. Survived. He chose not to press charges, <laughs> and they didn't get divorced until three years later. Yeah, it was in yeah. the mid '90s. First of all, before we get to the reason why we play Trace Atkins, there is a reason. How could she not have gone to jail? Well, how could it not have killed him? <laughs> right. If a yeah, bullet no, went, I, I mean, I just said he's a badass, so maybe that's the <laughs> yeah. answer. But, but how do bullet, you, do you have to press charges? Somebody shoots you three times, does it matter if you press charges or not? Well, actually, the term pressing charges is a misnomer. I okay. mean, it's up to a prosecutor of whether to file charges or not. Uh, you know, and, and if somebody can say, okay. guy, do you want to press charge? All that really means is, well, I cooperate as a witness. And, but if they can prove their case without me as a uh, witness, okay. say because of a confession or video or whatever it might be, they don't. I, there's no such thing as pressing charges, at least not in Indiana. Um, so here, I don't know. The fact that he must have not have wanted to cooperate at all. Well, no. If he, if he said, if the victim doesn't cooperate, it makes it darn hard to get a, a conviction, but not impossible. But what this tells me is he may have, for instance, said, well, you know, maybe it was self-defense or something along those lines that said it wasn't worth uh, pursuing. But the fact that he got shot the heart in both lungs and he didn't <laughs> die, I, I, I'm going to renew my claim these guys are badass. But you know, in Indiana, or excuse me, in Texas, Nige, yeah. they they have a defense that we don't necessarily have here here in Indiana. They have a defense. It's called the he needed shooting defense. <laughs> really? <laughs> why'd you shoot? Why, why'd you shoot him? Because he needed shooting. Here is here is why we came in with the mood music there from Trace Adkins. Here he is talking about the kind of his pregame ritual before he goes on stage. The unusual thing he does right before a concert. Before I go on stage, I smoke a Marlboro and drink a cup of coffee. You know, I took <laughs> voice when I was in college. I know the way you're supposed to do it. I, I know all the warm-up techniques and the breathing techniques and things you do to loosen up and everything, and I just don't anymore. I know what I'm supposed to do, but you know, that's like a lot of other things in my life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. Yeah, Trace Hackett was a alcoholic by the way so oh, yeah. the fact yeah. that it's coffee and a cigarette uh, th- that's much better is that anything do you do it by, and do you have a pregame ritual before you go um, go to trial you know, oh, well, before you go yeah. in front of a court and start to uh, uh, address a jury, do you have anything similar to that? You do a shot of Jameson before you walk. Oh into God, the no! Oh Lord, no! No, 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 no! It's usually you're so you're you're so caught up in logistics, you're so caught up in your exhibits and witness prep and all that that no, I, okay. I don't have any rituals. But what what with the fact that he smokes a cigarette and has a cup of coffee, I could care less about. That's not anything at all. Okay. I'm still going back to the fact that this yeah. sob got shot to the heart in yeah. both lungs and didn't die and uh, didn't. Again, didn't uh, divorce his wife until three years after the fact. <laughs> he stayed with her after he she shot him. Uh, all that tells me the same thing, man. He needed shooting. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. <laughs> um, it's the Hammer and Nigel show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Yeah, I'm Nigel. Guy Relford, the gun guy, filling in for Jason Hammer. He's a Second Amendment attorney, licensed firearms instructor, and we have a whole boatload of people waiting we, to talk to you for we this do. segment. And, and by the way, Nigel, I was just corrected. My lovely wife, Julie... Uh, texted me after that last segment, and you asked me about pre-trial rituals, uh, and right? I, and I said, you. "No, I don't really have one," you know. And she goes, "You liar!" She goes, "You always wear your Superman underwear <laughs> when you go to trial." Oh, <laughs> good lord! <laughs> okay, and I'm sure everyone wanted to know that, but that's exactly. Well, I only have one pair, so that's only good for a one-day trial. Uh, but you know, she's exactly right. But in the meantime, you're exactly right. We got a whole bunch of people who have called in for Ask the Gun Guy. So uh, you want to go right to the phone lines? Do it. You, All right, let's go. Uh, and we got Jeff. Jeff, welcome to Hammer Nigel, man. What do you got for um, Ask the Gun Guy? Hey, thank you. It's an honor. Um, and the first thing, Mr. Gilford, look, uh, thank you for representing Hoosiers like you do. And I, I want to throw a shout out to you to Representative Bartz, who has helped you. And thank you for everything you do for Hoosiers, as well, well you, as man. nationally for the Second Amendment. Well, I appreciate that but, a lot. Question. I've got a daughter. Uh, she's the youngest one in my clan. I'm 61. For the last 13 years of her life, we fire 40 rounds, 40 rounds a week, probably. And she lives down by herself in Monroe County. She's carried a handgun. She has her Makarov. She has a, a Smith and Wesson 40. She carries them. She's not been to the classes. I've taught her everything I know. See, instead of her coming all the way to you, which I wish she could, trust me do you know anybody in monroe county that you can trust and give me a give me a uh uh maybe a somewhere i can I'll, lean i'll tell you what just right next door in bartholomew county good friend of mine tammy watkins it's tamara watkins um you can find her on social media uh, she's with Watson Chambers Defense Institute. She does a lot of ladies-only classes. She does mixed classes as well. She's a former Indiana State Trooper, and she's an outstanding instructor um, and an all-around solid person. Does a lot of good work on on Second Amendment issues too, Jeff. So um, if you can hook up with Tamara Watson, she's in Columbus. Uh, she'd be fantastic uh, for your daughter and and uh, or or you as well if you're interested. Uh, Tammy does a great job. Well, I was going to say, I mean, Jeff, I, without knowing Jeff personally, he sounds like a pretty competent. Guy oh yeah, and, no and doubt. His guns. I mean, does it? I mean, you still recommend, even though he's he. Yeah. He, I mean, his daughter was brought up around that. But that's my mindset, though, Nigel. I'm a training junkie. I, I've been a okay. certified instructor yeah. for 30 years, and I I've taken five classes as a student this year. I wow. just don't think you can ever get enough training. Okay. Every class you take, you learn uh, something more you didn't know. Um, and so I, I'm a training junkie, and and yeah, I'm I'm sure Jeff's done a fabulous job of of teaching his his daughter what he knows. But I think going and taking a class from a from a reputable instructor like Tammy Watson I just mentioned uh, all, makes a lot of sense and, and I absolutely recommend it. Let's go back to the phone lines. we got Red. Red, f- uh, thanks for calling Hammer and Nigel. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Sure, man. Um, so, long story short, I used to be an avid uh, gun connoisseur and then I collected uh, some nonviolent felonies. So now all my equipment is with my father-in-law. Uh-huh. Um, my question is, I've heard mixed stories. My wife, I've gotten her into shooting, and she has got her own gun. What is the law for her being able to have a gun in our home, even though I'm a convicted felon? Or is that an option? Uh, Well, it is. I mean, she's not at risk, uh, Red, um, in terms of... um 
of having a gun, uh, she can have a gun in the house if she wants, and she's not violating the law. What um, you need to be concerned about is you're at risk because if you have access to those guns, because it's illegal for you as even as a nonviolent felon under federal law. You can't possess a gun. By the way, after eight years, uh, you can expunge those off your record and give me a call. I'll be glad to help you with that as well. But in the meantime, while those are on your record, you can't possess a gun under federal law. We have two kinds of possession in Indiana. There's actual possession, which is just what it sounds like. You got a gun in your hand, you got a gun in your waistband, in your pocket, you know, in your backpack. Then there's what's called constructive possession. And that's where you have access to the gun with the capacity to exercise what we call dominion and control over that gun. So, for instance, if there was a gun on your wife's nightstand and you had a break in or a burglary or whatever, and you called police and you're the only one home and there's a gun sitting there on your wife's nightstand and you're the only one in the home, then you could go to jail for possessing that gun and uh, under what's called constructive possession. Um, so one thing that, that I've advised people to do that makes a lot of sense is uh, for her to get a, a, a quick access gun safe that only opens on her fingerprints, only program her prints into it, not yours. So that way, if she needs that gun, she can open it. And, and then that technology has improved dramatically. They're very reliable anymore. And uh, so she can get it to it, get to it with her fingerprints. You can't access it. It's locked up. It's not accessible to you. You don't have to worry about this constructive possession, and she can have a gun in the home. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. And Ed has called. Ed, welcome to Hammer and Nigel. Hey, thanks, Superman and Nigel. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Serious, uh, kind of a random question here, uh, Guy. I'm getting tired of reading the so-called experts on the Internet. In the upcoming next month, from what I've been reading, and then at the beginning of next year, do you know, I'm hoping you know, you've got some insight, where are we with the upcoming proposed stabilizing pistol brace ban? Yeah. And for people, it's a it's a good question, Ed. Is this has caused so much confusion. What this is is um, that you can have a, a pistol. Um, and and it's not illegal even if it's in a rifle caliber as long as it's designed to be fired with one hand. If it's a rifle, meaning desired to be designed to be fired from the shoulder, it ha- it can't have a barrel under 16 inches. So people are, are building or, or buying you know AR style pistols or AK style pistols, and and the industry has come up with what's called a pistol stabilizer brace, which is something that kind of looks like a shoulder stock, but you put it on there and it's actually designed to fit around your forearm to help you shoot one hand. But people put them on and then they use them as a brace and the and as a stock, I should say. And the the ATF has come out now with a new rule and it goes into effect December 20th. Don't quote me on that date, but it's coming up here in December, goes into effect. And now they're saying that all braces are not necessarily a free pass, that you can't necessarily have a pistol brace on your pistol without turning it into a short-barreled rifle that requires you to register it with the federal government. You could otherwise do 10 years in federal prison. And what now wow. there's a point system. So it's based on caliber, weight, barrel length, configuration, um, the actual uh, design of the brace itself. There's a point system. And each thing, like weight and caliber, gets a certain number of points. And if you get over a total number of points, now it's a short-barreled rifle, and you have to register it and get your tax stamp. Uh, or you could look at it 10 years in federal prison. And what they're really doing, Nige, is it's a way for the ATF to bluff everybody into going out and getting their stamps and registering their pistols as oh, short barrel rifles. Wow. So I didn't want to get too deep in the weeds if people haven't heard those terms or that's not interesting to them, I understand. 
But that's what Ed's talking about. Uh, we got time for one more before we take a break? Or you yeah, take one a break? more quick one, and then we'll take a break. And okay, we'll and, and by the way, don't hang up if you're on yeah. hold, because we're going to come back and do more next segment. But we'll uh, take Michael. Michael, welcome to Hammer Nigel. Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Sure, man. Hey, you were talking yesterday about uh, identifying um, uh, a bullet or whatever in uh, state police. They do analysis and all that, and uh-huh. they can get, you know, match them up in that. But with the guns these days, let's just say with the Glocks, um, a twenty-two, it's a forty cal. Um, you get twenty different guys with the same gun, same type of ammo. Can they really match that up to which gun fired That's which a good one? Question. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Michael. And what the issue is is that um, you're 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 looking at these through incredible magnification. So you're you're blowing these up to a, a dr- tremendous degree. To where you're looking at a at a at a at a greatly magnified uh, image to match up very tiny little imperfections in the 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 extractor itself, and then what marks that extractor makes on the shell casing. It will be a battle of the experts. I'll guarantee you. you you'll have defense experts who will come in and say, "Look, this is not like a fingerprint. It's not even like matching the ballistics on a bullet when you're looking at an extractor mark or a striker mark." On a, on a shell casing or on a cartridge, and you will have a battle of the experts. You will have other experts to come in to say, oh no, at this level of magnification, I can say with 100% certainty, this extractor from this gun caused this mark on this cartridge. But it'll be a battle of the experts, and, uh, and the jury will have to decide how credible that evidence is. Let's take a break. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll have another quick segment with uh, Ask the Gun Guy. Guy Relford, my name is Nigel. We'll be right back. 34 and sunny at the American Standard Heating Weather Center, 93 WIBC. Guy Relford filling in for Hammer. I'm Nigel. You got more uh, callers there for Ask the Gun Guy. We absolutely do. Let's go right back to the phone lines and uh, we'll get as many as we can in before the end of the segment. We got John. John, welcome to Hammer and Nigel. Hey, guys. Sorry, I don't have Thunderstruck playing for you in the background today. It's <laughs> all right. What do you got for us? Question about Richard Allen's case. Yeah. The defense team wants to move the case to 150 miles away from Carroll County, which yeah. basically in Indiana would leave either Jeffersonville or Evansville if the judge allows it. My question is, why do they do something like this when they know they're not going to find 12 people who have never heard of the case? Is this to find 12 people that are as emotionally detached from it as possible? Yeah, John, I, and, and, and Nigel and I are going to talk about this later in the show, but um, you know, there's an argument to be made, and I think it's legitimate that the the whole Delphi community, if not the whole Carroll County community, has been victimized by this crime as well as um, Abby and Libby and their families. In other words, when when you've had you know a murderer, as far as you know, living among you uh, for all this time, and and the the fear that puts into your heart and and the concern that gives you for your own family or your own children, including your daughters, I mean, there's an argument to say. That, that 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 whole community has been victimized by this crime. And and when you have that kind of emotion uh, involved, I don't think it's a stretch to say it, that that adds a, a challenge to getting a fair and impartial jury. Uh, maybe that's the defense lawyer in me uh, talking, John, but I, I think it's a totally legitimate argument that in a, in a small town like this, a small county, you need to move it out. Uh, it's not that no one's going to have heard of the case outside Carroll County. They clearly will, but it's they're less likely to be dominated by emotion because they haven't been really part of that victimized community, is, is how I would put it. Uh, let's get back to the phone lines. we got Greg. Greg, welcome to Hammer and Nigel. 
Hey, Amber Nizel. Hey, um, I, I want to get your take on something that happened just a few months ago in Greenwood, Indiana. You probably already know where I'm going. And uh, this guy goes into Greenwood Park Mall, walk right past a shop that my daughter works in, and opens fire in the food court. Yep. Well, luckily, there's a guy there that's armed, and he takes the shooter out. And he's hailed as a hero, and as far as I'm concerned, he was. I mean, who knows how many lives he saved. Right. But That's the, Eli Dickin, who's, who's my client. Yeah, well, and the irony is Simon Mall has a strict policy of no firearms. Yet they still held him as a hero. Well, if you'll remember, not very long after that, another guy goes into the food court, gets his food, sits down, takes his backpack off, and unspelt, unspent uh, casings or shells, whatever. About 30 right? Yeah, 30 and, and, and we've there. only got about 30 seconds. And, Greg, let me cut you off, buddy. I apologize, but we're running out of town, but out of time. But let me, let me tell you, the difference is the guy you're talking about dropped actual magazines onto the ground in the same food court where this had happened and I think scared a lot of people. And and I do see that as different. Uh, you can you can call it hypocritical, perhaps, but I completely understand it. Ton more after 5 o'clock. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. We'll be back. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock all right, a big hour ahead of us, including Casey Daniels in the side piece from the Kendall and Casey show coming up here in about 10 minutes. And then uh, bottom of the hour, Francis Martell, world editor at Breitbart, really, um, really good at breaking down world events, especially these huge protests going in China right now, going on in China, having to do with the zero COVID policy and the, the brutal, brutal lockdowns. And, again, gigantic protests going on in China. We'll have that all for you a little bit after 5.30. Guy Relford is here filling in for Jason Hammer. Good day to have you fill in, man, because there are lots of uh, legal questions still remaining about the uh, Delphi unsealed documents that uh, that were that came out yesterday. Um, you are a Second Amendment attorney. You are a licensed firearms instructor, but you are also, I mean, you're a trial attorney. You're a criminal yep. criminal defense attorney. So you bet your perspective here on this and the segment you gave us yesterday was was really good. Um, you, I've seen you on a couple TV shows so far uh, today. What uh, what's, yeah. what like? What's the most common thing? they're asking you about right now is that this this bullet in the ballistics well yeah because i mean there's a natural question that comes out of the unsealed probable cause affidavit which is you know how does an unspent round and, and by unspent by the way that term's floating around i'm not sure a lot of people understand what we're talking yeah. about we're talking about an unfired cartridge right it's a complete cartridge that you would load into a gun in order to fire it if you're in the middle of a crime you know, at a particular crime scene, how does an unspent round end up on the ground? Yeah. In the middle of all of that, I mean, what could be happening to make that happen? So because an unspent round was found in between the bodies. It, it was, according Olivia to the probable cause affidavit. We still don't right. know. We do still don't know the cause of death. That's it, exactly it's, right. It's, uh, such a strange. I, I, I'm still bewildered here on some level about this whole thing. I and gotta really, tell you. And you know what, guy? Even the fact that we're kind of just. Uh, matter-of-factly talking about this murder now at this point is just it it makes me i 
I hate it so much because you still have the f- the families of the victims. You still want justice for Libby and Abby. And now we're at this phase where we're just like, yeah, there's a bullet in between the two bodies. And just speaking frankly like that, I uh, there's something that gives me pause when I do that. But we have to talk about it. You know, Nigel, I'm so glad you said that because I've had that exact uh, feeling multiple times since you know I, uh, the probable cause affidavit came out. I've, I've been talking about it nonstop, including you know on. Uh, broadcast media and and i have the exact same feeling yeah this is libby and abby man yeah. and, you know when we're talking about we still don't know cause of death you know talking about the bodies in such a dispassionate yeah, way is just hard because you keep thinking about these families and that whole community yeah. and everything they've been through and uh and, and it's tough because you don't want to be dispassionate about it but at the end at the same time when these these questions come up whether it's forensics yes whether it's legal issues Absolutely. uh whether it's you know what we anticipate this trial looking like if if this goes forward to a trial um those are all issues that you know we can and should be talking about but man you're right because your first thought is you want to be passionate um and 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 compassionate toward those families and 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 these innocent ladies that lost their lives yeah i know some of the families of the victims have said they don't want a lot of information out they want everybody to to basically shut their mouths why would there be a why would somebody like a prosecution want a gag order uh, in this case, well, it, like what it, is some of the reasons why? Well, the first is to protect witnesses. Uh, that you know, if if you think that uh, someone may be uh, in harm's way because they've. Uh, witnessed a crime, or they've they've expressed a willingness to to um, be cooperative with with prosecutors. You want to protect them. Other is if there's still an ongoing investigation, because these prosecutors and and law enforcement have both said that they're not convinced that this one defendant was the only one involved. Yes. And so they there's still an ongoing investigation, and they don't want to uh, jeopardize an ongoing investigation. That can be another rationalization, another reason why you would argue to a judge that they ought to keep uh, documents like this sealed. Would there be a reason that the defense wants the case moved uh, to you know somewhere? What, what, what do they say? They're, they're requesting a, the, to move the trial, change of venue, right? change yeah. of venue like yeah. within 150 miles of, of where this happened. So they want it moved. Would it be more to the advantage of the prosecution to stay where they're at right now in Carroll County, or is like oh, which would so. be better for the trial? I guess I'm sure. like to make sure this trial everything goes smooth, which I, I don't know that it will or is. For everything to go smooth, would a change of venue be beneficial to both parties? Well, I think it would be beneficial to the defense, the defense. Uh, because because I think. I don't know. There's an argument to be made that every citizen of Carroll County feels like a victim of this crime, sure. right? I mean, they, they they've lived for five years now without knowing, uh, you know, who this person was, and and the speculation has always been that it's someone among them, you know, that someone that they knew, and and you know, we've heard Doug Carter go out and you know, Superintendent Doug Carter of the Indiana State Police, mm-hmm. and say, you know, in his in his press conference said, you know, this is someone that we've probably talked to. It's someone who's probably living among the citizens of Carroll County. Well, that makes every one of those citizens down there, understandably, justifiably, feel like a victim of this crime, because they may not have lost their own immediate family member, but they've still had to be 
terrorized to some degree by living in the same community where there's someone who could commit a horrible crime like this. And when you have that kind of feeling of victimization, uh, understandably, uh, are you a little more motivated to want to put someone behind bars, you yeah. know, to, to give somebody the death penalty potentially down the road? I think there's a legitimate argument to say the answer to that is yes. And 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 and, and look, I, I, I have no reason to, to think they wouldn't be honest in answering questions like, can you be fair and impartial? But at the end of the day, could the defense get a fairer trial outside of Carroll County? I think there's no question the answer to that would be it, yes. And speaking of the trial for, for Richard Allen set for March of 2023, yeah. that's... That's probably going to get pushed back. Well, that's a first setting, and, and in murder trials, the 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 percentage of times that the first trial setting actually results in a trial yeah. is incredibly low. Now, he has speedy trial rights, right? We have a constitutional right to a speedy trial. If if he requests a speedy trial, and I've, I've seen no indication he has yet, then all of a sudden constitutional requirements come in, and he's entitled to a, a trial within certain specified times, often within. 70 days, uh, and, that, and there's a whole lot of variables that go into that, but um, he's entitled to a speedy trial if he asks for one. But as a defense uh, lawyer, you also have to balance that against, do I want my, my client to get a speedy trial? Well, yeah, that's his constitutional right. Will we be ready exactly. as defendants yeah. to go to trial yeah. that fast? And often, very often, the answer to that is no, so they don't necessarily ask for a speedy trial. But when your client is incarcerated and hasn't been bonded out, you, know, you have a right to a trial within a certain amount of time, and and we'll see how that plays out, because I haven't seen any of those cards get played yet. We are here with Guy Relford. He's filling in for Hammer, who is having every one of his teeth pulled today. He's getting dentures. <laughs> and uh, cough it up, choppers. And so he should be back tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. And we have a, a long way to go here in the Hammer and Nigel show. Thank you for filling in today, Guy. Always. Uh, coming up next, it's Casey Daniels for the uh, side piece for the Kendall and Casey show. And then, like I said, bottom of the hour, Francis Martell from Breitbart uh, and all the China protests and the COVID lockdown and we'll get up to date on that. Right now, a look at traffic with Matt Bear. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Casey Daniels in for the side piece from the Kendall and Casey Show. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Excellent. Um, this I heard you guys talking about this earlier this morning. I wanted to. Did you play the McConnell audio of uh, Cocaine Mitch? Just basically <laughs> slamming Trump for his dinner with mm-hmm. Kanye West and yeah. that other guy. Let me let me revisit this audio here. Here is the uh, turtle talking about uh, Donald Trump's <laughs> dinner with an accused anti-Semite and uh, and a white nationalist. Personally, let me just say that there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy, and anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view, in my judgment, are highly unlikely to ever be elected president of the United States. Mm. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to somewhat agree with that. It's, it makes things very difficult for Trump, um, mm-hmm. especially this, you know having this dinner days after announcing that he's running in 2024. Yeah, the optics really don't look good on that, do they? Not at all. Kevin McCarthy um, kind of came to his defense a little, giving the former president the benefit of the doubt saying that Trump didn't know who he was meeting with. 
He didn't know Kanye was going to do that to him. Are you buying that? Because him and I were talking about this yesterday. I'm not sure that I, uh, I I'm buying that. And even if even if he didn't know mm-hmm. Kanye's guests that were in tow with him for that dinner, mm-hmm. somebody around him should have alerted him about well, this Fuentes. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's guy. still being guarded by Secret Service, so they're not just going <laughs> to let any rando come in. I mean, and Rob and I talked about this, even if you are having friends over for dinner or something, and you've got a buddy coming over, and he's bringing a plus one, he's going to say, hey, Nigel, do, do you mind if I if I bring my new girl Sally with me? I know you haven't met her, but she's pretty cool, yeah. right? Or, oh, hey, I got this friend visiting from out of town. Do you mind if he tags along? Like, you'd get a little bit of a heads and, up. And not only that, that I would I don't think I'd ever knowingly or purposely break bread with anybody that has the views of mm-hmm. of a guy like that Fuentes mm-hmm. and even to a certain extent Kanye West. I mean, there's a difference between Donald Trump and Kanye West being old friends. He called him severely troubled in a statement right. he put out on Truth Social. Right. And then he's just trying to help a buddy out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think Kanye West has got a lot of problems. And, and and frankly, I think time could have been better spent for Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't know, campaigning for Herschel Walker. Not that Herschel Walker necessarily wants Trump mm-hmm. in Georgia, but th- there's other things I feel like he could have been doing. Um, in terms of his campaign. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And it just doesn't look good. And that's the thing. Everybody wants to come to Trump's defense, but when you're running for president, you're going to be scrutinized on every yeah. single thing you do. And this is a gift. It's a gift to the Republican Never Trumpers. This is a gift mm-hmm. to liberal mainstream media. It's a gift to the Democrats, and it's right. an unforced error. Well, and the Republican Party sometimes gets wrongfully branded that way to begin with. Yes. So stay clear of that, any connection. And, Don't go there. And Trump has a history of um, supporting Israel, the the Middle East peace accords that mm-hmm. he got done. Nobody ever thought in a million years that he could get done what he got done during his presidency, um, the Abraham Accords. Um, moving the... Uh, the the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, presidents for decades have been saying, oh, we're going to move the U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. It never happened, mm-hmm. except under Trump. So I don't think he's an anti-Semite. I just think he can be really bad at optics sometimes. Yeah, it was just sometimes. a bad, <laughs> bad decision. And he could have excused himself and said, hey, you know what, guys? This isn't working for me. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do this right now. And, and who, was, who was who's the notorious anti-Semite, one of the biggest in the country that Obama had his picture taken with? Are you talking about Farrakhan? Yes, Farrakhan. Yes, thank you. Lewis, I mean, uh, notorious. I mean, there's a picture of him grab-assing with Farrakhan, and that picture was completely suppressed. Uh, before Obama got elected, only released out later. So, okay, I know Obama probably outwardly disavowed some of those things, but Mm -hmm. it happens on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mike Pence actually came to Trump's defense saying that he didn't think Trump was an anti-Semite. He doesn't believe he's a racist or a bigot. Uh, He said he should apologize. Yeah, and and he went on to say he wouldn't have been his vice president if he was. Uh, All things that you can read about in his book. (laughs) 
Are you? Did you purchase the? <laughs> no. The, uh, so help me God. No. No, no I didn't. Not, and you know what? It's actually on the uh, New York Times bestsellers list. Let's pivot here real quick before I yeah. let you go here. Mm-hmm. World Cup. I'm into it. I watched it uh, over the weekend. I watched the the uh, USA beat. Well, they didn't beat. They tied England. Mm-hmm. And then they beat I, Iran or Iran. Iran. If you get yelled out by a, a Iran, a, an Iranian propagandist reporter, mm-hmm. uh, just like that soccer USA soccer player did. Uh, but can, let me let me play the um, the only goal from the game yesterday. USA Iran. It's meant for him. Test is snuck in behind. Test in the middle. And it's Christian Pulisic, mm-hmm. right place. Did he get injured, Pulisic? He did get injured uh, on that play. Yeah. Well, the reports were that he was uh, had a severe abdominal injury. Yeah, he had to go to the hospital. And I think that's a nice way of saying he took a knee to the groin. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. But so, how big a deal was this win yesterday? One nil over the Iranians. How big of a deal was yeah, it? Was it was a big deal, right, for the USA and the World Cup. I mean, yeah, I think it was a really big deal for the USA. I mean, there were a lot of things riding on it. Um, You know, they were playing on the backdrop of human rights and nuclear deals and and also their um, conviction that they they belong there, that they're a good team, and the validity of Mm -hmm. soccer in this country as a sport. A lot of things. Um, But a big deal for the Iranian players for losing because there were reports coming out saying that not only were the players going to face torture and imprisonment, but also their families if the players did anything against the regime. So, how would you like to go home to that? How how much of a chance you, you... Pay attention to the World Cup. You like soccer. Yeah. Do they have a chance Sunday? Uh, I'm sorry, it's Saturday against the Netherlands, Against correct? the Netherlands, yeah. yeah. The game's at 9 a.m. Um, Netherlands are really good. Okay. So, but, they, but so was England and so was... Yes. To a certain extent, Iran, weren't they? Or was Iran up there? They were up there. Okay. Uh, but I think Netherlands are maybe even better so than, prediction, than England. Official prediction here from Casey Daniels it's, before it's we gonna get out be, of here. They're going to have to bring it big time uh, because the Netherlands players, they're, they're fast and they have good control. They're really good on offense and defense where the Iranian team was mostly a defensive team and they're big. Oh, wow. They're big dudes. Yeah. They're tall. So those corner kicks and the headers... Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a tough win for the American team. What are you working on uh, in terms of the side piece? Okay, so uh, we wibc dot com. That's your blog. Yeah, we have the cost of the twelve days of Christmas. Oh, it gets more expensive every year with inflation, doesn't it? Forty five thousand dollars this year. <laughs> okay. uh, the the golden rings was yeah, the biggest increase with it. a thirty nine percent increase in gold oh, this boy. year. Uh, but also on the side piece at wibc dot com is Indiana's most popular Christmas song. Excellent. You can check that out, WIBC.com. They just go to the side piece uh, section Mm -hmm. and they can find out what that is. Casey Daniels, Kendall, and Casey, thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, everything you need to know about uh, China doubling down on the zero COVID orders, uh, police hunting down protesters in China. Uh, We haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Exactly what's going on with one of our favorite guests, Francis Martel, world editor at Breitbart. That's right after the news, 93 WIBC. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. My name is Nigel. Guy Relford filling in for uh, Jason Hammer. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Francis Martel, world editor at Breitbart. Francis, how are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so I'm reading your article here. China doubles down on zero COVID, orders police to hunt down protesters. I think these are pretty big, significant events going on in China right now. Uh, before we kind of drill down into the weeds, can you tell me what it means when China says zero COVID? What does that entail? Absolutely. This is their sort of euphemism for the lockdown brutality that they have over there. And it, the zero COVID basically means constant testing. Whether or not you have symptoms, the government forces you to come in and take a test. And if you test positive or if you're a contact of someone who tests positive, you are either locked down in your own home, in which case by lockdown, I mean it's house arrest. Like the police will not let you out of your house um, or you are bused to a quarantine camp. Um, and the quarantine camp is horrible because a lot of times people People who don't have COVID will be bussed into the camp alongside a bunch of people who do. And then what you're doing is basically spreading the disease um, in a very unsanitary environment. So that's the core of zero COVID is lockdowns and quarantine camps. And, and so these these latest rounds of protests in China, I mean, they've been going on for a while, though, right? Have they been going on since 2020 and in different various places throughout the country? Yes, we've seen signs of dissent and violent dissent um, since at least March 2020. Oh, wow. um, there was there was a huge riot in March 2020 in Hubei, which is where Wuhan is, where they were flipping over police cars. They were brawling with cops in the street. Um, so this isn't totally new. The The frequency and intensity is new, but um, they've been doing this for a while. Okay, so, so yeah, the frequency and intensity you just mentioned. I've been seeing some crazy footage coming out of China and different parts of that region. What precipitated this new round of protests because like you said the lockdown thing in china has been going on for a long time and we can we can talk about that as well but talk about kind of where these newest protests are coming from so the short answer is two things. One, there was a huge fire in Urumqi, which is in East Turkestan in the Uyghur region, and it was a high-rise fire, and the high-rise was locked down, so the cops couldn't, uh, the fire department couldn't get to the fire, and people just burned to death. Um, oh the estimates are between 10 and 50 people just burned because the firefighters couldn't get to the building. Um, and the other thing is the World Cup. Um, the Chinese people are very into the World Cup, and this is the first time that they get a glimpse of what what the world looks like outside, and not just the United States. They know that the U.S. isn't locked down, but they're also told that we're all dying in the streets here. Um, when they saw really? Cotter, yeah, they, they think that we're, we're all just, you know, the government tells them that, that we're just dropping like flies, but <laughs> Qatar is a friendly country to China, and so they're considered a responsible country, and the Chinese turn on their TV, and they're seeing stadiums full of thousands of people without masks, and no PCR tests, no no COVID theater whatsoever, and that really angered a lot of people. Um, so that seems to be the, the short version of it. The longer version is that we've seen smaller protests in all of the places that we saw protests this weekend before, and it's just built up to this point um, probably since the Shanghai lockdown in April. And is China acknowledging anything here? Are they, are they, are they pointing out these protests in the major cities uh, uh, over the last weekend or so? 
So yesterday there was a very funny moment in the uh, Chinese foreign ministry briefing where a Reuters reporter actually asked, they said, given the amount of anger that we've seen in the past weekend, is China reconsidering zero COVID? And the foreign ministry spokesman was silent for like a minute and just like shuffled his papers. And then he goes, then he goes, can you repeat the question? (laughs) (laughs) And ultimately his only answer is you have mischaracterized the situation. Um, So, so no, they they really don't seem like they have a grip on what they're going to say about this. And then today, finally, state media started complaining about um, hostile forces intervening from abroad, which is usually code oh. for the CIA. So okay, so it's the CIA's fault. Yeah, it was everybody's. us. <laughs> um, we're speaking with Francis Martel, world editor at Breitbart. I did want to ask you some questions about uh, the World Cup here coming up in just a few minutes. We'll stick with China here. Um, is there? <laughs> Like some bigger message that China is trying to send to the United States and the rest of the world? Like, like I guess I should say, why should, should Americans be paying such close attention to this? Other than the fact that Fauci and his gang sort of saw what China was doing in 2020 and kind of liked that lockdown model. Well, that's, I mean, that would be my answer is that there are a lot of wealthy, elite, powerful people in the United States who have close ties to the Chinese government and who are sympathetic to a lot of communist ideology. They might not be people who identify as communists, but, you know, you've got people like Elon Musk who has given multiple speeches about how Americans are lazy and entitled and the future is the Chinese, you know, work to the bone slave labor mentality. Um, You have people like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, who is very close to the Chinese government. And, and you have people in corporate uh, places, you have people at high places in Congress who are very close to Chinese Communist Party officials. So we should care because the, the Chinese Communist Party is the biggest and most powerful and richest Communist Party in the world. If that party continues to exist, none of us can be free because it funds every other communist endeavor on earth. And it does that with money that we spend at dollar stores, that we spend on basic goods because everything is made over there and we should also be paying attention to that because i mean what's going on there in terms of a human rights level is just you know welding people in their apartment buildings is is atrocious to me um and and you said you mentioned close ties and it kind of um it put a light bulb on over my head talking about the white house's and their kind of tepid response when asked about the protests and and i was wondering what you thought of the white house and and that weasel uh uh, what's his name? Blinken, the the, <laughs> the 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 spokesman, and 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 even Biden's. You know, some people saying he might be compromised by the Chinese. What what did you think about the the White House's response when asked about these protests in China? Um, totally pathetic and totally predictable. I mean, uh, Biden himself has basically openly said when he became president, I think it was at a CNN town hall like a month into his presidency, he said, you know, I've known Xi Jinping forever. He said that lie about flying with Xi Jinping 17,000 miles or something, <laughs> yeah. which is not yeah. real. And then he said, you know, when I sit down with Xi Jinping, I have to talk about human rights because the American people expect me to and because Americans have certain morals that they are, they hold their politicians 
beholden to, but Xi Jinping understands that I'm doing that only because I have to, which is which was Biden saying, I don't care about any of this, but I know that I can't stay in power, that Americans would be too disgusted with me if I didn't talk about it. So he essentially uh, neutralized any criticism on human rights that he will ever give on China ever again when he said that. And that was CNN Town Hall. It's on video. I'm not making it up. So um, knowing that, it's totally unsurprising that he wouldn't say anything about the protests. If anything, you know, I expected something milquetoast because he promised that he would always say something milquetoast, and they didn't even go that far, which makes me think they're a little worried that, um, you know, that there's going to be some sympathy for the anti-lockdown, um, you know, anti-COVID uh, yeah. civil rights abuse movement here in the United States if they see that Chinese people are complaining about the same thing. So, Francis, where does this go from here for the for the Chinese people? Is there any... Can you compare and contrast a situation like Tiananmen Square to what's going on now? Is there any comparison there? And and are there signs? Are there any signs that maybe China could be backing down at all from from some of these draconian policies? I don't think so. Um, the only real pressure that's on the Communist Party right now is from foreign investors who are uh, very spooked yeah. by the lockdowns. Because um, the the big uh, event that kind of preceded these protests is this ongoing riot at the world's largest iPhone factory, which is in China. And it, by ongoing, I mean there's still a riot. Like It's still totally out of control now. And that's going to hurt the bottom line for Apple. There's estimates that as much as 30% drop in iPhone production. Um, so the Chinese government is trying to use language to dupe foreign investors into thinking the lockdowns are over. So what they're doing is, for example, they've advised Beijing residents not to leave their homes, but they haven't done a formal, they haven't ordered them to, they just advised them to. And, you know, if you know anything about communism, there's no difference, right, between those two words. Um, So that's kind of where they are now. Um, They're going to try to use language to make it seem to the outside world that they're softening, but there's no evidence that they actually are in real life. Kirby, by the way, Kirby, who I was talking about earlier, oh. who had that, not, not, not Blinken, but um, Kirby, who said, you know, the president's not going to speak for protesters around the world. They're speaking for themselves. Yeah, just just absolutely pathetic. And by the way, those, those scenes of those quarantine camps that they're building over there are chilling, are they not? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is really scary stuff. Yep, and they have a lot of practice in building yes. those camps because yeah. they've been building concentration camps for the Muslims since at least 2017. Uh, Francis Martel, world editor at Breitbart. Can I ask you, can I keep you over for one more segment and ask you about the, the World Cup and some of the things going on over there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back. Uh, it's the Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIBC. All right, we're back with Frances Martell on the Hammer and Nigel show. She is the world editor at Breitbart talking about some of these uh, just awful uh, draconian Chinese lockdowns, uh, the zero COVID policies. They've doubled down. Uh, you did mention earlier how China censors. Are they're, so China is censoring the World Cup, what Chinese fans can see as these anti-lockdown protests are growing? Yes. So this is very funny because China went out of its way to promote the World Cup for many months because uh, according to the Chinese government, 70 percent of merchandise at the World Cup is made in China. So they have a lot of money to make. (laughs) 
And then they promoted it, and Chinese people watched it, and it turns out that they were shocked and angered and disgusted when they realized that the World Cup has, you know, 10,000 people maskless in a, in a stadium hanging out while they are locked down. So once that happened, Chinese state TV started editing out images of the crowd from the games. So, like, any time the camera panned to fans, they would just erase that and replace it with a shot of the field wow. or players. Yeah, to, to hide the fact that even Qatar, which is a repressive regime, yes. is not forcing people into these, like, crazy COVID lockdowns. Oh, oh speaking of oppressive regimes, I'm gonna, can I play a, a clip for you here real quick of this reporter from Iran asking the... Did you hear this? The United yes. States soccer player, like a very condescending question about human rights and racism in the United States here. Listen to this. You're here. pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? And uh, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, over the past few years. Are you okay to be representing the U.S.? Meanwhile, there's so much discrimination happening against black people in America. And Francis, the USA soccer player, had a completely calm and dignified response. I'm wondering how somebody like you would answer that question from that that Iranian propagandist <laughs> reporter when he's trying to lecture him not only on the you know being condescending about the pronunciation of the of the country but also you know racism and human rights and things like that well, I'm someone that still struggles between Qatar and Qatar because yeah, I'm too. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know they prefer Qatar, but Qatar. I, I don't. You know, it, it's it's hard. Um, but you know, in Kiev and Kiev, you could go down sure. this rabbit hole forever. Um, but you know, my my response to that is simply, uh, no one is getting beaten to death by morality <laughs> police in the United States for wearing a scarf wrong. Um, there's there's no comparison whatsoever to the rights problems we have here and zero. If, yeah, and speaking of Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter was a movement that was freely, openly allowed to protest in the streets. They took over streets. Many of them rioted violently um, and got away with that. Um, so clearly, freedom of expression is not an issue for the Black Lives Matter movement, and it very obviously is for the anti-Islamic regime movement in Iran. Francis, what are you working on over at Breitbart? I know you've got several articles out there right now. Well, um, today we are celebrating the death of Jiang Zemin, who was a former Chinese dictator, uh, died at 96. He was the guy brought in to clean up the Tiananmen Square massacre. He was the architect of the Falun Gong uh, mass killings and uh, organ harvesting operations. And, of course, U.S. media is, uh, wow. you know, honoring him as a reformer who elevated China's uh, economy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm over there trying to set the record straight. Uh, that's Frances Martell uh, over at Breitbart. She's the world editor. We'd love to have you back very soon, Frances. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. We'll be right back. Another hour of the Hammer and Nigel show coming up next, 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.